Chapter Ten, Part One of the Rock of Chickamauga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Kluckner. The Rock of Chickamauga by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Ten, The Great Assault, Part One. The light from the door that was always open illumined the room. The rising sun must have struck full upon it, because it was almost as bright as day there. Slade was in his butternut uniform, and his rifle leaned against the wall. Now that he had made the slight opening, Dick could understand their words. "'There are spies within Vicksburg, sir,' said Slade. "'Colonel Dustin detected one last night, but in the darkness he escaped down this ravine. The alarm was spread, and he could not have got outside our lines. I must catch him. It will be a credit to me to do so.' I was under your command, and, although not in active service owing to your wound, your word will go far. I want you to get me an order to search every house or place in which he could hide. Not too much zeal, my worthy Slade. Talleyrand said that, but you never heard of him. Excessive suspicion is not a good thing. It was your chief fault as an overseer, although I willingly pay tribute to your energy and attention to detail. This business of hunting spies is greatly overdone. The fate of Vicksburg will be settled by the cannon and the rifles. But, sir, they can do us great harm. Listen to that, my good Slade. The deep booming note of the distant cannon entered the cave. That is the sound of Grant's guns. He can fight better with those weapons than with spies. But Slade persisted, and Colonel Woodville, with an occasional word from his daughter, fenced with him, always using a light, bantering tone, while the lad who lay so near listened his pulses beating hard in his temples and throat. "'Your vigilance is to be commended, my good Slade,' Dick heard Colonel Woodville say. "'But to-day, at least, I cannot secure such a commission for you from General Pemberton. We hear that Grant is massing his troops for a grand attack, and there is little time to thresh up all our own quarters for spies. We must think more of our battle-line. Tomorrow we may have a plan. Come back to me then, and we will talk further on these matters.' "'But think, sir, what a day may cost us!' "'You show impatience, not to say haste, Slade, "'and little is ever achieved by thoughtless haste. "'The enemy is closing in upon us, "'and it must be our chief effort to break his iron ring. "'Ah, here is my nephew. "'He may give us further news on these grave matters.' "'Dick saw the entrance darken for a moment, "'then lighten again, "'and that gallant youth, Victor Woodville, "'with whom he had fought so good a fight, "'stood in the room.' He was still pale, and he carried his left arm in a sling, but it was evident that his recovery from his wound had been rapid. Dick saw the stern face of the old colonel brighten a bit, while the tender smile curved again about the thin lips of the spinster. Young Woodville gave a warm greeting to his uncle and elderly cousin, and nodded to Slade. Dick believed from his gesture that he did not like the guerrilla leader, or at least he hoped so. "'Victor,' said the colonel, "'what word do you bring?' Grant is advancing his batteries, and they seem to be massing for attack. It will surely come in a day or two. As I thought. Then we shall need all our energies for immediate battle. And now, Mr. Slade, as I said before, I will see you again to-morrow about the matter of which we were speaking. I am old, wounded, and I grow weary. I would rest. Slade rose to go. He was not a pleasant sight. His clothes were soiled and stained, and his face was covered with ragged beard. The eyes were full of venom and malice. "'Good day, Colonel Woodville,' he said. "'But I feel that I must bring the matter up again. As a scout and leader of irregulars for the Confederacy, 
I must be active in order to cope with the enemy's own scouts and spies. I shall return early tomorrow morning. Colonel Woodville waved his hand, and Slade, bowing, withdrew. Why was he so persistent, Uncle Charles? asked Victor. He seemed to have some underlying motive. He always has such a motive, Victor. He is a man who suspects everybody, because he knows everybody has a right to suspect him. He may even have been suspecting me, his old and, I fear, too generous employer. He has a mania about a spy hidden somewhere in Vicksburg. Young Victor Woodville laughed gaily. "'What folly!' he said. "'For your old overseer, a man of northern origin to boot, to suspect you, of all men, of helping a Yankee in any way. Why, Uncle Charles, everybody knows that you'd annihilate em if you could, and that you were making good progress with the task until you got that wound.' Colonel Woodville drew his great white eyebrows together in his characteristic way. "'I admit, Victor, that I'm the prince of Yankee-haters,' he said. "'They've ruined me, and if they succeed they'll ruin our state and the whole South, too. We've fled for refuge to a hole in the ground, and yet they come thundering at the door of so poor an abode. Listen!' They heard plainly the far rumble of the cannon. The intensity of the fire increased with the growing day. Shells and bombs were falling rapidly on Vicksburg. The face of Colonel Woodville darkened, and the eyes under the white thatch burned. "'Nevertheless, Victor,' he said, "'hate the Yankees as I do, and I hate them with all my heart and soul. There are some things a gentleman cannot do.' "'What, for instance, uncle?' "'He cannot break faith. He cannot do evil to those who have done good to him. He must repay benefits with benefits. He cannot permit the burden of obligation to remain upon him. "'Go to the door, Victor, and see if any one is lurking there.' Young Woodville went to the entrance, and returned with word that no one was near. "'Victor,' resumed Colonel Woodville, "'this man Slade, who was so preposterously wrong, this common overseer from the hostile section which seeks with force to put us down, this miserable fellow who had the presumption to suspect me, lying here with a wound, received in the defense of the Confederacy, was nevertheless right.' Victor stared, not understanding and Colonel Woodville raised himself a little higher on his pillows. "'Since when,' he asked of all the world, "'has a Woodville refused to pay his debts? "'Since when has a Woodville refused asylum "'to one who protected him and his in the hour of danger? "'Margaret, lift the blanket and invite our young friend in.' Dick was on his feet in an instant, and came into the chamber, uttering thanks to the man who, in spite of so much bitterness against his cause, could yet shelter him. Young Woodville exclaimed in surprise, "'The Yankee with whom I fought at Bellevue,' he said. "'And the one who ignored your presence at Jackson,' said Miss Woodville. The two lads shook hands. "'And now,' said Colonel Woodville, his old sharpness returning, "'we shall be on even terms, young sir. "'Your uniform bears a faint resemblance to that of your own army, "'and Slade, cunning and cruel, may have had you shot as a spy. "'You would be taken within our lines, "'and this is no time for long examinations. "'I know how much I owe you, sir.' said Dick, and I know how much danger my presence here brings upon you. I will leave as soon as the ravine is clear. The gathering of the troops for battle will give me a chance. You will do nothing of the kind. Having begun the task, we will carry it through. Our cave home rambles. There is a little apartment belonging to Victor, in which you may put yourself in shape. I advise you to lie quiet here for a day or two, and then, if I am still able to put my hand on you, I may turn you over with full explanations to the authorities." Dick noted the significance of the words, "'If I am still able to put my hand on you,' 
but he merely spoke of his gratitude and went with young Woodville into the little apartment. It was on the right side of the hall, and a round shutterless hole opened into the ravine, admitting light and air. The window, which was not more than a foot in diameter, faced toward the east and gave a view of earthworks and the region beyond, where the Union army stood. The room itself contained but little, a cot, some blankets, clothing, and articles of the toilet. "'Mason,' said Woodville, "'make yourself as comfortable as you can here. I did not know until I escaped from Jackson that it was you who ignored my presence there. You seem in some manner to have won the good opinion of my uncle, and, in any event, he could not bear to remain in debt to a Yankee. If you're careful, you're safe here for the day, although you may be lonesome. I must go at once to our lines. Cousin Margaret will bring you something to eat.' They shook hands again. "'I can't do much fighting,' said Woodville, "'owing to this wounded arm of mine. But I can carry messages, and the line is so long many are to be taken.' He went out, and Miss Woodville came soon with food on a tray. Dick suspected that they could ill spare it, but he must eat, and he feared to offer pay. It embarrassed him, too, that she should wait upon him, but, in their situation, it was absolutely necessary that she do so, even were there a servant somewhere, which he doubted. But she left the tray, and when she returned for it an hour later, she had only a few words to say. Dick stood at the round hole that served as a window. There were bushes about it, and, at that point, the cliff seemed to be almost perpendicular. He was safe from observation, and he looked over a vast expanse of country. The morning was dazzlingly clear, and he saw sections of the Confederate earthworks with their men and guns, and far beyond them other earthworks and other guns, which he knew were those of his own people. While he stood there alone, free from the tension that had lasted while Slade was present, he realized the great volume of fire that the northern cannon were pouring without ceasing upon Vicksburg. The deep rumble was continually in his ears, and at times his imagination made the earth shake. He saw two shells burst in the air, and a shattering explosion told that a third struck nearby. To the eastward smoke was always drifting. The southern cannon seldom replied. He resolved to attempt escape during the coming night. It hurt him to bring danger upon the Woodvilles, and he wished, too, to fulfill his mission. Others, beyond question, would reach the fleet with the message, but he wished to reach it also. Yet nothing new occurred during all the long day. Miss Woodville brought him more food at noon, but scarcely spoke. Then he returned to the hole in the cliff, and remained there until twilight. Young Woodville came, and he gathered from his manner that there had been no important movement of the armies that all as yet was preparation, but he inferred that the storm was coming, and he told Victor that he meant to leave that night. He was opposed vehemently. The line of southern sentinels watched everywhere. Slade was most vigilant. He might come at any time into the ravine. No, he must wait. The next night, perhaps. But in any event he must remain a while. Nor did he depart the next night, either. Instead, two or three days passed, and he was still in the house dug in the hillside, a guest, and yet a captive. The bombardment had gone on. His food was still brought to him by Miss Woodville, and once or twice Victor came, but Dick, as he was in honor bound, asked him no question about the armies. The waiting, the loneliness, and the suspense were terrible to one so young and so ambitious. And yet he had fared better than he had a right to expect, a fact, however, that did not relieve his situation. Another night came, and he went to sleep in his lonely cell in the wall, but he was awakened while it was yet intensely dark by a cannonade far surpassing in violence any that had gone before. He rushed to the hole, but he could see nothing in the ravine. 
yet the whole plateau seemed to shake with the violence of the concussions and the crash of exploding shells. The fire came from all sides, from the river as well as the land. The boom of the huge mortars on the boats there sounded above everything. Dick knew absolutely now that the message he was to carry had been delivered by somebody else. He heard under the continued thunder of the guns sharp commands, and the tread of many troops moving. He knew that the southern forces were going into position, and he felt himself that the tremendous fire was the prelude to a great attack. His excitement grew. He strained his eyes, but he could see nothing in the dark ravine, or out there where the cannon roared, save the rapid red flashes under the dim horizon. He had his watch, and he had kept it running. Now he was able to make out that it was only three o'clock in the morning. A long time until day, and he must wait until then to know what such a furious convulsion would achieve. The slow time passed, and there was no decrease of the fire. Once or twice he came away from the window, and listened at the entrance to his little room, but he could hear nothing stirring in the larger chamber. Yet it was incredible that Colonel Woodville and his daughter should not be awake. They would certainly be listening with an anxiety and suspense not less than his. Dawn came after painful ages, and slowly the region out there where the Union army lay rose into the light. But it was a red dawn, a dawn in flame and smoke. Scores of guns crashed in front, and behind the heavy booming of the mortars on the boats formed the overnote of the storm. The opening was not large, but it afforded the lad a good view, and he thrust his head out as far as he could, every nerve in him leaping at the deep roar of the cannonade. He had no doubt that the assault was about to be made. He was wild with eagerness to see it, and it was a cruel hurt to his spirit that he was held there, and could not take a part in it. He thought of rushing from the place, and of seeking a way through the lines to his own army, but a little reflection showed him that it would be folly. He must merely be a witness, while Colonel Winchester, Warner, Pennington, the sergeant, Colonel Hertford, Alm whom he knew, and the tens of thousands whom he did not know, fought the battle. A tremendous sound, distant and steady, would not blot out much smaller sounds nearby, and now he heard noises in the larger chamber. The voice of Colonel Woodville was raised in sharp command. "'Lift me up!' he said. "'I must see. Must I lie here, eating my soul out, when a great battle is going on? Help me up, I say. Wound or no wound, I will go to the door.' Then the voice of Miss Woodville attempting to soothe was heard, but the colonel broke forth more furiously than ever, not at her, but at his unhappy fate. Dick, spurred by impulse, left his alcove and entered the room. Sir, he said respectfully to Colonel Woodville, you are eager to see, and so am I. May I help you? Colonel Woodville turned a red eye upon him. Young man, he said, you have shown before a sense of fitness, and your appearance now is most welcome. You shall help me to the door, and I will lean upon you. Together we will see what is going to happen, although I wish for one result, and you for another. No, Margaret, it is not worth while to protest any further. My young Yankee and I will manage it very well between us. Miss Woodville stepped aside, and smiled wanly. I think it is best, Miss Woodville, Dick said in a low tone. Perhaps, she replied. Colonel Woodville impatiently threw off the cover. He wore a long purple dressing-gown, and his wound was in the leg, but it was partly healed. Dick helped him out of the bed, and then supported him with his arm under his shoulder. Within that singular abode the roar of the guns was a steady and sinister mutter, but beneath it now appeared another note. End of chapter 10, part 1. Recording by Jeff Kluckner, Plymouth, UK.